On today's episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Chris Schifferling. Chris is the managing partner at Global Wide Advisors, an investment banking institution focused on the e-commerce, SaaS, and digital space. We talk about a lot of interesting topics that range from what it is to outsource versus bring a professional in-house to the changing landscape and the market that exists for financial institutions and all this new VC money coming into the e-commerce ecosystem. I hope you enjoy, buckle up. Hi, and welcome to Successful Scales, the show where I interview now successful professionals about their journey and try and garner insights onto any tips that can be applied to your business at home. Whether it's financial freedom or the exit of your company, wherever your journey may take you, the idea here is to simply learn from those who have done it before. I hope you enjoy and you get some value out of this. Buckle up and enjoy the episode. All right, Chris, welcome back to the show. And I'm saying back to the show because we had a dry run here and it didn't go as uh, as planned. So here we are sitting again recording. Uh, mate, thanks for taking the time out again. Hey, man, always a pleasure. Always, always a pleasure to talk to you. In fact, you know, we're, we're about to talk for, for 30 minutes. The, the reality is, you know, we have been talking for what feels like the past hour. And we could have just kept talking, I think, for the next several hours. So we'll try and condense. We'll try and condense this conversation, though. I think uh, I think we're going to struggle. <laughs> I know, a hundred percent, mate. Um, it's just been such an amazing opportunity to sit down with you over the last, you know, several weeks, learning all about, you know, what's really happening in the space around roll-ups and aggregators and you know, brokerages and acquisition and just the changing landscape. So um, yeah, I'm glad we pushed record so that other people can get some of the the, the knowledge that you've been sharing with me um, nice. and, and the team. But um, so I know who you are, obviously, we've gotten to know yeah. each other pretty well. But for those listening, give us give us the uh, the 411 of, of who you are. Yeah. Yeah, man, I'll give you the um... I'll give you the elevator pitch as they say, but we'll probably go to like floor 10, not just floor three. So yeah, Global Wired Advisors is a lower middle market investment bank. Um, you know, we were we were formed about uh, going on over three years ago. Um, so my background, and I'll just kind of walk through all of our backgrounds. My background is actually in operating. So I worked for um, various consumer products companies, you know, from 22 million all the way up to half a billion primarily in the baby products and toy space. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. It was a very antiquated industry, continues to be still fairly antiquated. Um, but uh, it's, you know, it's kind of like death and taxes and well, having babies, they all just, you know, doesn't go away. So, <laughs> you know, birth rates decline, but they don't go away. So, but, uh, but yeah, it was a fun, fun, fun space. I, I was a sales and marketing executive. I worked in, um, you know, as I got more into the enterprise level, um, you know, more in the smaller business, I did everything from literally going out to the warehouse at the end of the month and then shipping orders till two in the morning, putting things on FedEx and UPS trucks and moving to more enterprise, being a lot more cross-functional, working with, you know, product development teams and brand teams and engine uh, engineering and, and, um, and, and, and really just, you know, operations, large, complex sales, sales and operation docs, spending lots of time in the COO's office, working through lots of complex issues because we sold all the large, big, big box retailers. So um, that was a, that was a really good time. And then kind of moving away from that, I actually um, helped a, a Barcelona-based company establish their brand here in the United States and North America. So that was fun because that kind of gave a little bit of the entrepreneurial spirit, right? I was fully funded by the, this um, 
this company that was based in Barcelona and it was their brand, but at the same time they were, um, you know, it was much, much of an entrepreneurial spirit. So from there, you know, while I worked there, I actually just put my head down and learned Amazon um, seller central. So I've always known vendor. I've always sold to vendor. I've always actually sold to a buyer through vendor and through Amazon. And over the years, as I was selling on the wholesale side, um, slowly but surely algorithms replaced people. And so, you know, you no longer had a planning team, which you normally have in, in, in call it just big box retail, where you've got your buyer and your associate buyer and your full planning team. Those all went away. And I realized that during that time, Seller Central was an important part of really where e-commerce was headed. And I had a half a million dollars worth of inventory sitting in a warehouse at the time that my retailers didn't want. So I had to get rid of it, put my head down, kind of that 2015 time period into early 16, you know, when there was that FBA gold rush. Uh, right really, time to be alive. It was, man. I mean, look, Kellogg didn't have a digital marketing course or an Amazon course, right? Columbia or Princeton or Harvard weren't offering any executive programs to learn Amazon. You had to just go find forums and Facebook groups. And, you know, it was basically school of hard knocks, as, as you well know. And so, that was a lot of fun. From there, I actually started my own consulting firm, helping enterprise clients, um, specifically within my network, formulate digital strategy. Because for a lot of them, it was just wasn't non-existent. That's a that's too dramatic to say. It was very anemic, and so they really needed help filling in some holes. Amazon Vendor Central was giving them lots of problems. Seller Central was really the way to go. So from there, I actually met these guys. They had a they had a firm called Providium Advisors. Um, the thesis was, you know, bringing an investment banking um, process and, and Wall Street experience to the small and medium sized businesses. And they were really focused on traditional. And when I met up with Joe, Jason, and Chris, um, we decided, you know, what what a great time to get involved in the e-commerce space. And what a great time to get involved in the digitally native space. And so we formed as a fourth partner, we formed then Global Wired Advisors. Um, and really our thesis stayed the same, just like with Providium Advisors, which is we wanna bring this, this institutional investment banking experience and pedigree and acumen and way of breaking down a business, the way of assimilating a company understanding all of the functions, being able to do very, very deep, deep analysis, and then create an opportunity to go and then market, create, by the way, creating a market, which we'll get into later, you create a market that you go in effect, sell to that market, this particular opportunity. And so we said, you know, we, we took a, we took a strong look at the competitive landscape and we said, it's extremely weak and this, this particular space needs more or less an investment banking process. And so started global and over the past three years, it's been a, it's been a very fun ride, to be honest. You know, we've um, really, we've established ourselves, but we continue to grow. We're, we continue to grow out our team. You know, we're, we're in, our infrastructure is like what you would find at a more traditional middle market investment bank. We've got associates and VPs and analysts, and then our managing partners really are more or less at this point, the managing directors doing all the transaction running. So, um, so yeah, that's us. So we focus primarily on digital and with companies that are fall that fall really in between, call it three to five million at the lowest, all the way up to fifty to seventy-five million in revenue. Wow, really, really interesting. Thanks for sharing kind of the the DNA the DNA of Global Wired because you know there's a lot of players in the space right now and. 
Um, and no disrespect to, to anyone in the market, but there's a lot of players who will, will sell an Amazon business, you know, do one exit, maybe two, and then all of a sudden they're an expert. And there are some people who are great at that, but it's just interesting hearing the other perspective coming from kind of the, well, the higher ups, if you will, stepping down and actually looking at this as the opportunity in something that is, um, I don't know, it's more more from the professional side of things and then coming in and understanding the market and bringing that that high level into the market as opposed to just having a single exit and then trying to figure it out and starting to do deals you you'd approach it differently and one of the really interesting things for me is having this podcast and getting the opportunity to speak to guys like you and a lot of the roll-ups in the space it's always the dna of the business you know i I was saying to someone the other day i wish i could invest i wish i had the money to invest in businesses because you kind of see at least I feel like I do, you can pick the winners because you can see that the DNA, like I think with a lot of the, the roll-ups, the ones that have uh, very operationally savvy um, operators in it who come from large businesses who have grown large businesses are the ones that, you know, I'd put my money behind. So, you know, looking at what you guys are doing from an investment banking institution, um, it just seems like, a, you know, a good bet, if you will, um, coming from... Yeah coming from that space. So yeah, thanks for sharing that really. Uh... Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's true. I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, that that's, that's you, I think you bring up a good point. There's a lot of, there are a lot of folks in the space that said, you know, I, I sold a business, therefore I can sell businesses. And, you know, I don't think that's a bad move for anything that's not complex. You know, I think as you start to get above a certain altitude, when it comes to, business size and business complexity, you need to hire a professional who's worked in financial markets, um, not a fireman. And I say that jokingly, not jokingly. We recently, there's a local brokerage here (laughs) and we're all, I I happen to be on their email list. They said they hired a former fire chief who's now a broker selling businesses. And I'm going, there's a lot of jokes here and a lot of jokes (laughs) I could make about this because he is good at putting out fires. So I do understand that, but it's like, that just doesn't feel like a good fit when you've got now a very complex business and organization that you need to, again, back to what I said, just assimilate, break down, break down a deep analysis. And oh, by the way, you're going to, if it's a good business and it's within that, call it real true lower middle market, this has a real shot at getting a funded sponsor, not an aggregator, but a funded sponsor, as well as you know potential strategics to take a hard look at your deal. And these strategics and funded sponsors, you know, as much as much as you may hear right now out there in terms of information from from other folks that they've got those relationships, the reality is they they don't. They don't have those strong relationships, and it's very difficult for them. Because they didn't come from they didn't come from a background or career where this was part of the day to day of going to the mat with very very astute financially driven and financially engineering you know strong financial engineering minds to get a really good deal done and there's a specific way that that has to be done in terms of positioning and it really in terms of technical sales because that's really I mean we're a sales and marketing shop at the end of the day right and so to be able to sell an opportunity to a PE fund or a strategic, they, they want to know that, A, you've got, you've got your act together, you've got all the materials and you can properly 
you can properly break down the business and explain to them why this opportunity is really, really good. That's where you extract the most value. So if you do this whole idea of, well, I'll just take the, you know, like what aggregators I've been hearing recently, will just come to us even with your messy financials. Well, that's a, it's a way to exploit your business, unfortunately. And it's a way to really exploit them getting a very good deal where in essence, you may have a very good business and you're leaving lots of money on the table. That's just pure reality. So, so really interesting points there again. And I think um, it's also, it also really depends on what your objective as I'm understanding is as, as a seller. So, you know, just for anyone listening and, you know, we sit here and we talk this language all the time, but um, you know, for anyone listening in and isn't following along hundred percent. So, you know, what GWA global wide advisors are doing effectively is they're trying to help maximize the deal opportunity and they're working with bigger financial institutions and PE private equity and strategic partners <clears throat> to really maximize what that deal looks like. So if you're a smaller business, um, you know, maybe there's other opportunities that exist, but if you're looking for, you know, you know, the, the big boys effectively, um, then that's where you guys are, are specializing if I'm understanding correctly. That's right. Yeah. And to break it down again, I, I'll try and use analogies that are, that are more simplified, but you know, a lot of the deals that you, that you see get done in this space are highly transactional, right? And there's some data analysis, but it doesn't go that deep. And I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're a, just a, you're a data freak, right? And so, yeah. you know, the analysis is about an inch deep. That's about it. Um, but, you know, in, in, in terms of kind of going a lot deeper um, with the company, um, shoot, man, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Just well, told, well, you know, just asking me. well, well, just I guess the, the the focus here or the things that are super interesting to me is, you know, if I'm a seller, right, um, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to exit my business, and you know, the the whole show it's about successfully scaling a business, and we were having a lot of interesting discussions. I wish I'd pushed record 45 minutes ago. Uh, there would have yeah. been some <laughs> some great content there, but we were talking about some interesting things. So um, I spoke to to Tyler Jeffcoats recently and um, yeah. he, he's over at Seller Accountant and, you know, can't speak highly enough about that episode, can't speak highly enough about Tyler, but um, he was really sharing some interesting insights about what it is and, and, and where Amazon businesses in particular see the most profit. And, you know, at the end of the day, we are in a capitalistic world and, you know, money does make the world go round. And what he was saying to me is that from, you know, up to about a million and a half dollars is where they typically see companies or Amazon businesses making the most profit. And they go through this period of adolescence where maybe they get through to being an adult, maybe they don't from that 1.5 through to about four, I might be getting that wrong. And then the companies that can get to over that sort of five mark and have figured out what scale and process and, and, and how to actually do it effectively, that's when they start to yield that, that bigger return. So I guess I'd love to ask you the question, you know, you guys are seeing, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of companies over the time you've been in market. I don't even know. I'd love to hear how many you're seeing, but you're seeing lots and lots of companies. Let's put it that way. You're seeing them at all different um, stages. You know, what are some of the things that you see are like the key problems and the issues and what should people be looking out for? Yeah, great. And I, I, I found my train of thought, by the way, so I, we can combine both in this, in this one answer. Um, what I was driving towards was everything tends to be very transactional. And so in transactional type of, of, of deals, you've got 
you know, again, going back to what I said before I lost my train of thought, you've got that inch deep of data analysis, right? So we call it the X and Y axis, right? When you're, when you're thinking about an Excel spreadsheet. And so the X and the Y axis is going to share with you um, a lot of data around just the business, right? But the one part that, that we believe drives the, the best value out of the company is what I call the Z axis, which is this axis, right? And it's really identifying and being able to identify more than just, they can go to Walmart Canada. They can go to walmart.com. They can go to Etsy. It's, it's more than just simple, very, very, I would call uh, JV bullet list, but really being able to break down the analysis of the business and understand where the real opportunity is. So that drives into your question, right? What, what, what are the problems that we see most of the time? And then what are not the problems we see that drive a lot of value? Or what are the, the, the golden nuggets within a business that drives the most value? Problems we see, some of this is just going to be very basic. It's just disorganization. That's a big problem. We see a lot of financial disorganization where we've got to do a lot of cleanup internally. Our associates and our analysts have to do a ton of cleanup. Sometimes it calls for what's, 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 what most middle market banks before they even go to, uh, to market. In lower middle market, it's not as common. But we have in the past, actually, um, we, have a, we have a relationship with a very strong middle market CPA firm here in Charlotte. There's a million of them because we're a financial town. Uh, we have a really gr great relationship. And we do what's called quality of earnings, Q of E. Um, Q of E is simply an, an outside firm. Sometimes it's internal. We do a quality of earnings ourselves, but we can't officially audit because we're not a CPA. But you take the business and all of the data and information and you hand it over to a financial um, institution, a CPA, and they effectively then you know, go through and they qualify the earnings of the business, right? Now, that's a very rigorous process. It can sometimes take a little bit longer. It's why we avoid it if we, ha if we don't have to do it. Um, but it's financial disorganization. That's kind of number one. Number two, they don't know their numbers. And, and, and Yoni, I'm sure you run into this all the time. <laughs> you know, they just don't know their data, right? And so being able to really just apply, and it's more than just applying a, um, oh, yeah, I've got seller board. Oh, yeah, I've got hello profit. It's, it's diving in and really going again, a layer deeper and even a layer deeper than that to really understand how everything's working with one another when it comes to your not just your financials, it's your digital metrics, right? And how they all play with one another. Uh, and I and can say, say the I, I can say we okay. even we even fell victim um, to that ourselves. Um, we were we were yeah. we were managing our business on on a cash instead of accrual basis. So we had to when we brought yeah. in a, a CFO, we transitioned everything over. Fortunately, it was pretty early into the business, so it wasn't a whole lot of work. But like that in itself, I would say like you know that's going to be. That's going to be just a fundamental that, you know, we got it wrong. If we're getting it wrong and we're pretty yeah. well organized, I feel like, uh, you know, yeah. you're probably seeing a lot of that. Yeah, no, we do. And I mean, we've got several instances where it was on cash basis and we had to flip them to accrual. And, you know, we, we have a, um, one of our partners is, is a CPA. Um, so we've got pretty strong internal chops to, to be able to go through all that stuff. But you know, we always, of course, recommend that their their CFO or their CPA at least kind of call it goes through and changes all of that into an accrual and then stamps it because buyers like to see that something external was being done. So it's it's knowing your numbers. And then two, who are you? 
seriously, who are you as a brand and where are you going, right? A lot of folks are very reactionary to their business because they, they live in the weeds. They haven't had a chance to breathe and get up to the clouds and look around and go, okay, I see where this thing's going in three years. You know, this was an exercise that we did a lot, especially we did a lot of planning when I was uh, first working for a business. It was a Japanese um, company. It was actually a publicly traded company on the Nikkei. Um, but we were smaller here. It was only 22 million. So it was a small business. And but we still did a lot of planning, a lot of operational CapEx planning. But but I learned the exercise of three-year business planning when I went to Evenflow. Um, you know, working there, the entire company, or at least the management, all got involved to build out a true three-year plan of where this, this business is going. Now, one might dismiss that and say, yeah, well, that's for more larger, complex organizations. It's just not the truth. You know, anybody who wants to drive real value for their business, especially when it comes to a potential exit, needs to really understand who they are as a brand. How, how do they play their role out there um, with consumers and within the consumer product space or the vertical that they're servicing? And where are they going? You know, that's that's part of a big issue that we run into is they just don't know who they are. And so for us as a firm, because we've come with that experience of not just not just, you know, it's the financial side of things. It's the large institutional M&A side of things. But we also come from a strong operating background. So really helping a client identify what opportunity actually looks like for the company going forward. Um, and a lot of that helps drive value when you're pitching and you're positioning the business for real funded sponsors and also strategic. So those are three of probably the biggest problems um, that, 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 we, that we come across. There's other minor things. You know, we dealt with one business that um, had some illegal workers. And so we had to work through that. You know, it's it's so we come into more call it the pragmatic problems, but the more macro problems tend to fall in one of those three buckets. Great insights, great insights. And um, just while while I'm uh, sharing things, I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I spoke to someone who does work with you guys, and they said that when you guys come in, it's like dropping a SEAL Team Six into the business and um, and and effectively coming in and 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 doing all That's this right. work for you. So. Um, probably pretty cool for you to hear firstly, but, um, yeah, you know, what, what's, um, what are some of the things that you guys actually might do? So I'm trying to sell my business, let's say, um, you know, what, what are some of the things that if I'm working with global wide, what are you guys actually going to do during this process? Yeah. Well, before we even get to our process, we spent a lot of time with you already and we know your business, you know, we go under NDA very quickly. We request a lot of information, we spent a lot of time on the phone um, getting to know the company because what we have found is, unfortunately, there can be a fairly, unfortunately, in some cases, there can be a large disparity between the first phone call and what the business owner believes about the business and believes about the numbers. And then actually looking at all of the data and going, this is not what you describe. This looks, so this looks either a little bit different or, wow, this looks drastically different than what you said. Um, I have a recent case in point, spent a lot of time with a particular client. He has a very, very, you know, particular goal when it comes to an exit. And so we were really working through all of his data to see, you know, a time, we call it a time series analysis. When is the right time to go to market and, um, come to find out, you know, he's on cash basis. So we were working through accrual 
And then, you know, his EBITDA was half what he thought it was when he went through the accrual from cash to accrual and effectively went through a pretty strong audit. And so, you know, it, and there's no way I'm just throwing an engagement letter the day I have a conversation with somebody, right? Because for us, and I want to make this clear, and that's part of the reason why we have a SEAL Team 6, we're very particular with the businesses that we take to market. And we want to make sure we don't, we're not in the volume game. You know, that's nothing, that's, those are stats and metrics you're not going to hear from us. And in terms of, oh, well, we did 100 transactions last year, or, you know, we signed up 300, 300 clients last year. Those are, those are, that's Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross type of stuff. That's not us, right? Being, being, being who we decided to be as an investment bank in the space, you know, we're very, very, very careful who we work with. So we spend a lot of time, by the time we actually start working with you, we've done a lot of work. We know what the business looks like for the most part. Then we request a lot more information. We have a very large request list. We're going to do our due diligence before going to market. And because of our backgrounds, we're able to do due diligence and think, you know, my, my one partner, Chris Bodnar, actually was on the buy side for a while in various private equity and also at the Hartford. And so having studied large transactions and large deals that have came across his desk, we're able to identify and, you know, one of our associates that we recently hired came from Piper Sandler, you know, a very, very large middle market investment bank. And, and it's, it's, it's a good process to go through because we're looking at all what we call the Easter eggs before we go to market. And we're also identifying what buyers may also see as a problem. And then we're working through that. So we're going to spend more time with our client to go, okay, we've identified these six things that could be an issue as we go out and market this deal. How are we going to fix these? Oh, and by the way, what we've identified through this due diligence, you're not ready to go to market yet. We actually just took to market a deal that we signed back in October of 2019. We finally took that deal to market in November. They were finally ready. And so that's, that's part of what you get in the beginning. As far as the process goes, you're not on the phone with every Tom, Dick, and Harry. That's a big problem. You're not selling your own deal, right? And I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So we get yeah. to know the business. We get to know the company. We, we put together the marketing materials and we go out and we sell your business. When it's time for you to get on the phone, IOIs have been expressed and we are analyzing with you as the client, which is the best um, IOIs that, that have come through in terms of offers. And then we're going to start management calls. Management calls are, are, are well-versed. They're highly coached. We spend, spend a lot of time with our client, making sure they don't you know, they say all the right things about the business. Um, we identify, we identify who's the best fit in terms of a funded sponsor and or just the best fit for a buyer. And then we go into LOI and then we quarterback the entire process. So in a lot of cases with the brokerage, with brokerages that are out there, you've got guys who are the face of the company, right? And they're out there telling you and selling you on exactly who they are and what they do. But the reality is, there's 15 brokers. And so you don't actually know what desk you're going to get put on, right? You don't know what, what broker you're actually going to, to, to marry up with to sell your business. And so with the global, everything's internal. And so you're going to be working with a managing partner who's taking your deal to market, number one. And you're working with an internal support staff and other managing partners that you don't even know about are also working on your deal as they're out there selling their own transactions and having lots of conversations. And they're mo we're all motivated to make sure there's 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 really good cross functional 
opportunity. So we quarterback the entire process when it's when it's uh, racing towards close, and then yeah, then we close the deal. <laughs> Great, great insights and lots to unpack there and what was a wealth of knowledge. So, yeah. so um, int- a question for you, uh, the business that, you know, thought they were doing a million in, in EBITDA and I'll probably get this wrong, but it's earnings uh, before interest, tax, amortization, I've forgotten one. What about depreciation? Yeah. Depreciation. Depreciation. So, yeah. so, so for those of you who don't know, and I hear it every other day and I forget how to say the actual <laughs> meaning behind it, but you know, to go from that, from believing that it's a million on a cash basis and then turning it to an accrual basis and being half a million, that's a pretty significant hit to what you thought your exit was going to look like, right? It, it was actually double. He thought it was close to three and he, was, he came in at a million and a half. And so it was, it was, that's a, that's a game changer in terms of everything, multiple expansion, the type of buyers who would look at your deal, you know, it was a real game changer. And so he was already ex- expecting a specific multiple and he needed to grow from that 3 million. He needed to grow another probably 2 million in EBITDA in order to safely and conservatively hit his goals, his acquisition targets. But yeah, that was, um, that was a little bit of a, it was a setback. So, you know, instead of the next year and a half, two years, he's probably going to have to wait a little bit longer unless he decides, all right, I'm done. I'm burnt out. You know, let's, let's figure this out. I'll, I'll be willing to kind of relook at my acquisition goals. So, so it just goes to show when you're actually looking at anything related to growing your business at, with an intent to sell it, getting this stuff right at the start and making sure that you're moving through it the right way. Um, Cause I mean, I'm just sitting here listening to the story. Jeez. If I had, you know, these ideas of, of grandioso sale and, you know, buying a yacht or whatever rich people do, hopefully one day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it, it would really lifestyles it, of the rich and famous man. Yeah, so you know, it, it would really be a serious hit um, to to what I believe yeah. to be true and what my future looks like. So getting that right is is obviously key. And speaking to guys like you um, earlier rather than later, so that you can actually build the right perspective. And it's the same with us, like, you know, in our consulting practice inside of Escala, we prefer working with people earlier on because we can help build the infrastructure before you make all the mistakes and you have to, you know, spend hours and hours and in some cases, hundreds of hours um, undoing all the wrong. Um, Question for you though, uh, you know, you're, you're doing serious due diligence. You're going through this entire process um, and before you're even sort of like, let's say in bed or like heavily engaged in a, in a potential deal, will you ever walk away from deals? Like, will you say this isn't a right fit for us? Yeah. Well, yes. Before an engagement letter. And again, that, that plays really, that plays very large in our, uh, our, our, our corporate history, right? We're able to look at information very quickly. And we're able to assimilate very, very fast if something is a good business or not a good business. And so pre-engagement letter, yes, we've walked away from deals. We've just said, and there have been times where we've been, you know, we talk extensively as partners here and every deal has a conversation, every single one. And it's not a micromanaging thing. That's just a, hey, let's talk about this from a 360 perspective and see if this is a good deal for Global Wired. And there have been times where we've bid on a deal, um, knowing, know, knowing full well, we probably won't win the deal, 
but we he we hedged our risk going in because we said to ourselves, we know this deal can close. The expectation, unfortunately, of the of the seller is way off, and so we've and we've, we we're very very forthright. You know, the term honest is is the truth, but I know it's overplayed. I'll just use a, a different word. We're very forthright with our with our potential clients of where they are and how they stand in the market. You know, we're we're once we get to know the business. You know, there was a there was a potential client we spoke to just a couple months ago. It was a fairly decent sized business, and we were very honest. We said, "Look, you're you're an aggregator bid all day long. Fund and sponsors will not want to look at you. And even though you've got eight million dollars or nine million dollars in EBITDA." This is absolutely not something that they would be interested in. And so you, you in effect, need to, from our perspective, we, we believe you should temper your expectations. Um, we didn't win the bid. We want a middle market investment bank actually won the bid and um, a potential client even admitted they were desperate to get the deal. And, and we weren't, you know, we weren't sitting there going, oh my gosh, we have to have it just because, oh my gosh, it's $8 million and we'll do anything we can just to $8 million in EBITDA. We'll do anything we can to try and get this deal. That's not how we operate. You know, if we don't think, if we don't think a, a, a deal can get done and really truly meet the expectations of our client, then yeah, we'll walk away. Yeah. Great to know. Um, and I also found it interesting, you know, I'm really privileged to be able to have conversations with you know, a, a bunch of different brokerages and a lot of the aggregators and roll-ups and just hearing the way you're structured as well um, resonates with me. Like the way we deliver project work is that we always have a senior and a junior consultant on the project, but everything gets filtered through our principles. Like no, no piece of work is going to go out unless it's been verified by the people who are sitting right at the top. And it sounds like, you know, unlike having you know, like you said, you don't know whose desk it's going to land on for us as well. It doesn't really matter because the, the pro, like the produce, the output is always going to be the same and we'll send it back that's to right. the team to, to fix it. So super interesting um, to hear. And again, I think that's also why we get along so well is that, um, you know, you yeah. guys, you know, you guys are building similar to how we are in terms of the, the methodology and, and, right. you know, we also were the same, like we're also being pretty privileged now to, to not necessarily need to um, work with every client that comes our way because, you know, we're, we're pretty packed as well. And we want to work with people that we know we're going to see success with and that, you know, it's one thing to deliver right. work, but unless they're actually going to do the work or in your case, let you do the work, um, then there's no, there's no um, necessarily true value in it. So, before I let you yeah. go, Chris, um, yeah. um, if someone um, wanted to get in touch with you um, for any reason, if they want to sell their business, if they're just kind of, you know, dipping their toes in or, you know, just because you're a great guy and they want to have a few frothies with you. <laughs> um, would... Love that term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so from, for most of my audience, which they're not going to be Australian, a frothy is a beer. Um um, we were having a laugh about it before, but <laughs> how would they, uh, how would they connect with you for a few frothies, mate? Yeah, man. So they can obviously go to our website, globalwiredadvisors.com. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn, just put us in the search bar. Um, you know, my, my email address, my phone number is actually on our website. So we make it really easy for you to contact us. Um, and I would just leave everyone with this. Look, if you're just wanting to even understand kind of what, what's happening, there's a lot of noise that's out there. Your inboxes are getting filled every single day. 
with a lot of new aggregators that are popping on the scene. They all have some, some level of differentiation. The reality is we've segmented, we've talked to all of them. We know all of them very well. We know what they're looking for. We also know where they find value with specific verticals. That's really important. So that's one piece, but they're only one very small part of the buying universe. Private equity is not only sniffing, but they're, they're, they're coming in and they're st they've already started. We have a transaction that we just run. We had 11 IOIs. And again, we don't price tag our deals. So we give information to the big boys and let them do their valuations. And, and we had a, a, a 10 offers come in, one aggregator, and the rest were, it was actually 11 one aggregator and 10 private equity funded sponsors from lower middle market to middle market. This is a 60% Amazon and 40% Shopify business, only direct to consumer. So your audience needs to fully understand there is more, there is more to, to what, what's, what meets the eye right now. And we believe that, that private equity funded sponsors, family offices, they're about to come in fast and furious and it's going to be quick. And I think they're going to start bringing a whole other level of maturity into this entire market that none of us have seen yet. We're only in inning number one, or maybe I wouldn't even say two, I'd say we just started. Um, and so someone to help cut through that noise, we absolutely will do that. Even if you'd never become our client, it's not a big deal. We're not gonna sit there and try and push an engagement letter on you. That's just stupidity. And that's just not professionalism. So please contact me. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll help walk through all of it. And, and you know, um, not, not giving you guys a plug, but another thing, again, I do my due diligence too. Um, and before I sit down with people, I want to know if they're, you know, first and foremost, uh, one of the good guys in this space, because not everyone is going to be and not particular to any particular brokerage or roll up, you know, these are all amazing people, incredible people that I've had the opportunity to sit down with. But I will say that I heard from another third party that some of the numbers and the multiples that you guys have done, are the, some of the highest up, I heard a seven and I heard an eight, which to me, I hadn't heard that high before. Um, and so, well, yeah. it's, it's, and I appreciate that. Thank you for doing your diligence. And, and I'll tell you this, this is, this is this, the, this market is, is about to go through a massive mature maturing. Um, the, the normalized consumer product multiples that are out there in middle market world are seven to 13, sometimes as high as 15. That's normalized overlooking at data over the past two decades in consumer products. So all this industry is doing is playing catch up. And we are a really, really good bridge to help play that catch up and to make sure that uh, to make sure that at the end of the day, by the way, we've gotten three and a half, we've gotten four multiples, we've gotten five and a half, we've gotten eight. But our process, it, it yields an optimized outcome. You can actually put your head on the pillow at night and go, I was put in front of every single person that could possibly want to buy my business. And I got real-time market feedback. Yeah, so I should probably also preface that saying, you know, I heard you guys also doing deals at that level too, but I'm saying I'd never heard of a deal being done over, say, you know, a four um, until That's I, right. sp I spoke to someone. So, you know, it just showed me. Yeah, you guys are shopping people around and making good decisions and also giving them advice on when they should sell and what that process looks like. So I know we got to go, mate. Uh, you got to jump on a call. I know. Um, and we <laughs> yeah. said that this is going to happen. We said it before. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to have yep. to get you back on, mate. Um, you know, the market, awesome. like you said, is hotly changing day in, day out. You know, um, I follow that um, that article that seems to get updated every day on on um what is it marketplace pulse 
and Mark, yeah, and, and, and it's like every day, you know, I was, I was chatting with James from um, Elevate Brands, and they just did a round of 55 million last week. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm gonna definitely have to get you back on. I really appreciate yeah. you sitting down. Yeah. And uh, mate, have an amazing day, I and let's you. Uh, let's let's uh, let's make it happen again. Keep the- awesome. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. 